Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. John Schmelk, Lance Meow with you at 201-939-4513. Lance Meadow. Uh, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter if you want to join us that way. It's brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Lance a lot. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. How are things with you? Everything's okay. And obviously the NFL free agent bonanza is not yet begun. That begins the second week of March. But we got kind of the early stages this week. It's the first time teams are able to put their franchise tags on player. Not a lot of action yet. Mostly because they have until March 5th to do it. So still a lot of time here, Lance, for things to happen. No reason to panic. Everyone saw those reports yesterday. Uh, there's no reason to leave the uh, hippopotamus in the room and ignore him. Hippopotamus, so, wow. Yeah, why not? I thought you'd go with elephant, ah, but that's okay. I went hippo. I like it. I Be like we big sit-ups here. Because hippos are grumpier, and this thing kind of annoyed me. Only because, folks, here's the bottom line. The Giants and Landon Collins are in the exact same situation today that they were in yesterday and two days ago and three days before that. Nothing's changed. He's going to be a free agent when the new league year starts in March. Him and the Giants will talk about contracts. The Giants have the right to franchise tag him if they want. Big surprise, the player wants a big contract with guaranteed money. Every like every player does on on the planet. It's not a surprise, and the two sides will negotiate, and we'll see if anything comes of it. It's really that simple. It's part of the negotiating process. It happens every single year leading up to the beginning of free agency, and then if a player is given the franchise tag, John, then those teams and those players have until July fifteenth to hammer out a long term deal. So we're a long way in terms of the game of speculation before people start drawing the lines and so forth. And I understand this is the time to speculate because there's no games and everybody is invested in pending free agents and scheduled free agents and trying to determine is there a future with the team? Are they going to be moved and so forth? But right now it's just a game of speculation. There's not much substance. There's not much fact. There's not much stock behind a lot of these reports. I just think this is the machine known as the NFL offseason and we're all invested in it because we put a lot of time and effort in following games in and out throughout the season. Well, people and are dying yearning for a story. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yearning that's for content. So that's really all this is at this point. But I would not read too much into anything. Once we get to deadlines and dates that actually matter, that's when I think you actually have something to talk about. All right. We have a new list that came out um, just the other day. SI and uh, Andy Benoit, who does a really good job there as kind of their film study guy, put down his top 100 free agent list, and I thought that might be a good place to start on Big Blue Kickoff Live today, and then we'll get to your calls again at 201-939-4513, and it should surprise nobody that the top of the list is full of many, many defensive players, and many defensive players that play near the line of scrimmage. So, let's go through it real quick, shall we? Top guy in the list, and this guy is actually topped most list, that's Demarcus Lawrence, Dallas Cowboys defensive end. The Cowboys can franchise him for a second time this year, but I would imagine both sides in that situation are probably going to try to hash out a long-term contract if they can figure out terms that are acceptable to both groups. Yeah, he says he doesn't want to play under the franchise tag, which is not a surprise. Most guys do want long-term deals, which we were just talking about. Last year he was everybody... very willing, though. He was, but I think it's a little bit different because he had another solid year. Absolutely. So he's saying to himself, hey, listen, Dallas, I've proved it not once but twice that I could stay healthy and get after the quarterback. And now, obviously, he wants the security of a long-term deal. I don't think there's any crime in the Cowboys giving him the franchise tag. Once again, they have other positions and extensions that they need to work on. But this is the cornerstone of their defense. And 
I think that they should have the flexibility to get something done, given the fact that the majority of their defense is young when you look at their secondary and their linebacking core. So it doesn't hurt from their perspective if they want to say, hey, we're now willing to invest some money on the front line and continue to build with the youth movement on the back end. Yeah, they actually have a very, very good salary cap situation, which yeah. is the change in Dallas. They usually are kind of restructuring contracts just to get under. They actually have a lot of money to spend, uh, and they'll probably spend that on most of their own players. I would not expect a big splash in fragrance with the player outside that organization. Uh, the next two guys are players that I think Lance are likely to be franchised in one way, shape, or form. Jadavian Clowney, the edge rusher for the Houston Texans. He's had a lot of injury issues. And Grady Jarrett, interior defensive lineman, defensive tackle from the Falcons. I would imagine either long-term deals quickly for those guys, but i I, I got to imagine in the interim you're probably going to see tags put on them. Clowney, the question is durability yep. and whether or not he can remain healthy. Jarrett, I really don't think that's an issue. I would not put Jarrett among the elite defensive tackles in the league, but he has shown flashes that he could get after the quarterback. We saw what he did against the Patriots in the Super Bowl a few years ago when he got to Brady multiple times. I would say if you were to choose the two, I'd probably lean towards maybe the Falcons getting something done with Jarrett more so than perhaps the Texans getting something done with Clowney. Yeah, Clowney, former first-round pick. He might be really looking to kind of break the bank and maybe even set the record for, you know, contract size for an edge rusher, which I think Khalil Mack has right now, if I'm not mistaken. So. Yeah. so we'll see what happens there. I would not pay him more than Khalil Mack, but we'll, but we'll see what the Texans do. Well, and how much money do you want to lock up between Clowney and Watt? Yeah. I think the Texans need to ask yeah. themselves that. Uh, yeah, and eventually you're going to have to pay Deshaun Watson there. Uh, did Hopkins get his money yet? When is he coming up? I don't remember. When did he sign his last contract? That's a good question. Hopkins certainly is going to be due for another contract shortly and they're also going to need to address the wide receiver position by the way because they got rid of Demarius Thomas they still have fuller though if he gets back from well the and they also have cutie as well but he mm -hmm. was young and had some injuries over the course of the season so they're going to have to determine what direction they want to go with that position but to me the big thing for Houston when they have a compliment to DeAndre Hopkins, they're that much more of a dangerous team. And when Will Fuller was healthy at the beginning of last season, you saw that balance. Then Fuller went down. They tried to have somebody fill in. And to me, the Houston Texans offense wasn't necessarily the same. No, he got paid before the 2017 season. So he's assigned through 2022. So they have some security there. Yeah, he's making a nice chunk of change. According to uh, Spot Rack, he is making... He signed a five-year, $81 million contract, so he's doing just fine. Uh, two safeties after that, Earl Thomas, an older guy, 29, coming off a couple of leg injuries, more of a free safety type. Then we talked about Landon Collins. We know about his strengths, more of a closer-to-the-line-of-scrimmage type of guy, a good tackler, could use some work in coverage. Um, and then you have Tevin Coleman at number six, which I think is a little bit high for him. You know, he's shown some ability in Atlanta. He's never had to carry the full load on his own with Devontae Freeman there. Though this year with Freeman being hurt, Coleman uh, did have to do uh, a little bit more. Kind of a big play guy, can catch the ball a little bit, has, has really good top speed. So, you know, he's, he's someone that I think can help a running game, but I'm not sure he can be the, you know, bell cow 18 to 22 carry a game type of running back. Well, if you're looking for a complimentary back, I think he makes a lot of sense. It depends on what your needs are. But I also think that running backs are hurt overall based on the latest trend, which is a lot of young guys in the draft have thrived immediately. So if yeah. you're a team, in all likelihood, if you at least feel there's some depth and options at the running back position in this year's draft, you're probably going to wait till the draft before you go out on a spending spree at this position. <laughs> I, I just don't think it's worth the investment when so many other mid to late round picks in the last few years have immediately made an impact.
Then you got a couple pass rushers, Frank Clark and Trey Flowers, both only 25 years old. Clark had a breakout year for Seattle. I can't imagine they're going to let him walk out the door. He seems very much like uh, a player the Seahawks want to build their defense around. They lost a lot of their older pass rushers to Michael Bennis, to Cliff Averills, guys like that. But Frank Clark has stepped in and done a nice job. Trey Flowers doesn't rack up the sack numbers, Lance, but he was as solid as they came for New England last year. Yeah, New England had 30 sacks as a team. They're actually tied with the Giants, tied for 30th. So New England was not, to your point, collecting pressure opportunities throughout the year, but Flowers was an integral part of their front, and it'll be very interesting, John, because New England's not the type of team that retains its free agents very often or locks them up. So this is a player to watch, and whether or not New England feels they can build around him or with a class that we just talked about has a great deal of depth on the defensive line, maybe New England says, hey, we could find his replacement. I mean, when I think about New England locking up players, it's hard to even come up with five guys in recent history that they said, hey, you know what? We want to bring him back. You just... Tom Brady. Guys don't come to mind. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't even know if you put Brady in that category. Rob Gronkowski. Gronkowski, maybe one. Other than that, McCourty, Devin McCourty, of yeah. course. He was given a second deal Did they, when he was a free have agent. Have they given Gilmore an extension yet? the corner? I don't think so, right? That's a good question. Because he would be the next guy I would think they would, because they have paid corners before, whether you're looking at Revis or go back to Ty Law, that's someone I think maybe could be a guy that they, you know, kind of lock up long term, but I don't think they have locked him well, up Well, Gilmore yet. they signed to a five-year deal, because remember, he was a free agent oh, from Buffalo. So there you go. So, so they so, have him locked up through 2022. So he, he, he would be the other guy then that they really have locked up long term. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, uh, so many things with him. I don't know how that running back market, like you said, people like to go through the draft, curious to see what kind of deal him or Tevin Coleman get. Then you back to some uh, pass rushers and linebackers. D. Ford, who's 28, older than I thought, at number 10. C.J. Mosley, kind of a, a run-and-hit type of linebacker. Um, at 11 from Baltimore, just 26 years old. Brandon Graham, he's 31, but still very effective. Defensive lineman from the Eagles. And then K.J. Wright, linebacker from the Seahawks. Well, K.J. Wright falls in that Frank Clark category with Seattle. They've He's had older, a lot though. Of, well, but they've had a lot of turnover, I guess is what I'm saying at that position. They've lost some key players, and Seattle, with Frank Clark, who you mentioned is younger, makes much more sense to lock him up long-term than perhaps K.J. Wright. But yeah. remember, the linebacker has been the heart and soul, I would argue, of that Seattle defense. People talk about the Legion of Boom, and people talk about some of the pass rushers, but they've also had some really good playmakers at that linebacker position. Bobby Wagner comes to mind. You can't not have the middle of your defense straightened out if you're the Seahawks. So perhaps they will find maybe a short-term deal with K.J. Wright if they value his services. D. Ford, who you mentioned, is a candidate for the franchise tag. Kansas City already has come out and said that they're willing to give him the tag. He ain't going nowhere. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if the Chiefs let him go. He was a huge part of their pass rush. Had a breakout season despite the fact that he's 28 and was a good complimentary piece to Chris Jones, who also had a breakout season for the Kansas City Chiefs. Their strength is that pass rush. And let's take it a step further, John. Spags, who's now the defensive coordinator, when he's had good defenses, what is the heart and soul of it? The pass rush. I'm sure he's going to do everything in his power to convince the Kansas City brass you got to do everything you yeah. can to keep D4. And having a lot of pass rushers. He likes to rotate yeah. them. So something to keep an eye on. I'm curious to see how the Eagles handle Brandon Graham because he's 31, much like the Chiefs, 
Pass rush is very important to the Eagles. We know how rotate much their secondary has struggled. They like to rotate guys. Uh, Vinny Curry left last year. He's actually already let go by the Bucks, who signed him as a free agent. Brandon Graham does not put up eye-popping numbers, but he is an excellent, excellent football player. I'll be interested to see at 31 what type of interest and level of interest he'll get on the open market and how far the Eagles are going to want to go to bring him back. Well, Graham's a guy you play inside and outside. Him and Fletcher Cox have provided a real nice one-two punch. It's not just the ability to get to the quarterback, the ability to stop the run. I value him tremendously. I mean, I'm in a position where I'm really not getting too caught up in the 31 number, John. I think he's been a durable guy. He's been a consistent force for them. If I'm the Eagles and goes back to Jim Schwartz, another defensive coordinator who loves to rotate personnel, but he loves to move guys inside and outside. Derek Barnett, their young pass rushers coming off a season-ending injury. You need players who are the staples of your front, like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. If I'm the Eagles, I think to me he's one of their top priorities to make sure you bring him back. Yeah, I think it's hard not to. You have to replace him. Uh, I'm not going to go through the other list piece by piece to you, Lance, but some interesting guys. And if feel free to jump in if you want to comment. Um, Anthony Barr, an off-the-ball linebacker for the Vikings. Curious to see how he would fit into more of a 3-4 system with using more of a pass rusher. I think that's interesting. Uh, Tyrell Williams at 17. Kind of that big, tall, deep threat that Vertical can stretch threat. the field. Absolutely. Uh, Sheldon Richardson from the Jets. We know about him. Um, first offensive lineman comes in at 20. Roger Saffold, a guard for the Rams. The Rams offensive line did a real nice job this year. Uh, Quan Alexander, another linebacker. And this is a second player for the Eagles that I think is interesting. is Ronald Darby, who's not perfect, but he's a physical bump-and-run corner who's probably their best cornerback when he's healthy. He's had a couple injuries the last couple of years that have kept him out of some games. But he is a good, good, good cornerback. And the Eagles might get... Can they bring back both him and Graham with the type of money they're going to demand on the market? I think it'll be interesting to see. Well, and Golden Tate's another guy that they're going to have yeah. to address as well. So nice. there's a variety of playmakers across the board, to your point, John. And Darby's only 25, by the yeah, way. Darby's not no. a very old guy. However, they've just been decimated by injuries at that position. Now, it's a guessing game. You never know going into a season. Is he going to play 14 games? Is he going to play 16? Is he going to play 10? But the Eagles got to get to a point where, John, they have two or three quarters that are reliable enough to suit up for the majority of the games. You know, Sidney Jones, who they drafted a few years ago, the second-round pick, remember they took a chance on him. Off he of Achilles, back, yep. And, you know, he's been in and out of the lineup. It's really been such an Achilles heel for this team, the secondary no pun health intended. factor. Yeah, so Philadelphia, they've got to look at his health. They've got to determine, you know, durability. That, to me, is the biggest question mark with Darby. And they've got to compare him to what this draft class has to offer. If they feel there's some depth there, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Philadelphia goes younger there and tries to lock up the veterans on the front end of the defense. Now, here are some interesting names that I think are kind of mid-range players that could fit in a lot of different spots. Darius Smith, the linebacker slash pass rusher for the Ravens, who I think would fit well in James Betcher's scheme, only 26 years old. Uh, Pierre Desir, a cornerback from Indianapolis. They played a very zone-heavy defense last year, but a corner that knows what he's doing. Uh, Bryce Callahan, the slot corner from the Bears. And then Trent Brown, who the Patriots found, plugged in, and he did a great job last year. Well, he's going to have a chance to reap the rewards of that in free agency as the, uh, at least according to Andy Benoit, the best offensive tackle on the board this summer. A great story. San Francisco 49ers, seventh-round pick in 2015. It didn't work out. New England acquires him. And I've been saying this time and time again on multiple programs. New England knows how to coach up those guys better than probably anybody across yeah. the league. Mm -hmm. If you're Trent Brown, I know you want to get paid, but I also need to 
say to myself, is New England the big reason why I thrive this year, John? Now, they've got Isaiah Wynn coming back from injury. We'll see what happens with respect to where they move him around. Yeah, do they see him as guard or a tackle? Correct. You know, that I think is a big part of what they're going to do with Trent Brown. But, you know, if Brown feels New England is the place where he could thrive, maybe money's not his biggest priority. Just a few other things I want to piggyback of the nature throughout. Bryce Callahan, I'm a huge fan. I know he's coming off injury. I think he should receive a great deal of interest. Slot guy but a versatile guy who also did a really good job to shoring some issues on the back end of that Chicago defense. You also threw out Quan Alexander, and Alexander's a guy that's dealt with some injuries. I think he's a great athlete. I would take a flyer with him if I'm a team in need of a linebacker. You know, there's questions about whether or not he's strong in man-to-man coverage versus zone, but he's an athlete, and he has versatility. He's somebody I would look at if the money is not through the roof. And Desir, who you mentioned... Indianapolis, that defense, right under the radar, it fell, John, this season. What Matt Eberflus was able to do with a bunch of unknown commodities, and we've talked about clearly Darius Leonard. You know, their defensive front is not full of big-time names, but I thought that secondary exceeded expectations. And You know, he's a guy that manned up with a lot of top-wide receivers. He's going to be an interesting name to look out for, and I wonder, you know, just based on what we're talking about with needs, would the Eagles entertain this year if they want to move on from Darby? Is that a name, perhaps, yeah. that they want to look at? They like to play man, though. This year played That's mostly true. zone last point. year. But, yeah, it's a good point. All right, a couple of names real fast, and we've got a full bank of calls. I'm going to get to you in about two minutes, folks, or a minute, 30 seconds even. Uh, Lamarcus Joyner, who got franchised last year, right, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's going to be a free agent this year. Donovan Smith, a young left tackle. He's struggled. He's young. He's getting better, but he's not there yet. Adrian Amos, a safety who uh, did a good job alongside Jackson last year in Chicago, more of a strong safety. Uh, Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger, who's battled some injuries over the course of his career. And Dominic Sue hits for agency once again. Uh, Jamison Crowder, a slot receiver, is a free agent. You mentioned Golden Tate, uh, Randall Cobb, Dion Buchanan. And the reason I bring up Dion Buchanan, former Cardinal, obviously you have links to James Betcher there. Uh, Jay Ajayi coming off injury. Darrell Williams, the right tackle for the Panthers, coming off a major knee injury. But he's somebody that might be able to help at that position if you want to you know, bet that he's going to be healthy moving forward. Uh, how about Ezekiel Ansah? How far has he fallen? Number 52 on this list, who's got a ton of pure athletic physical talent, but hasn't really turned that into consistent production yet. Durability. So those are really the, the other names that I'll mention. Uh, Thomas Davis, a little you know older side, obviously. He still wants to play. The Panthers cut him. Uh, Cole Beasley in Dallas, again, slot guy. He's 30 years old already. But has been productive. Yeah, I mean, and that would be the most. And Juwan James, right tackle from Miami. And he'd be somebody that I think people would be interested in a right tackle. So, And HaHa Clinton Dix is there, too, a safety. Who was traded to the Redskins from the Packers. Did not necessarily thrive in Washington. It looks like Washington's going to move on. The Redskins eventually have to solidify that safety position. It's been a revolving door. I would say the draft is probably going to be an area where they're going to look to focus on that. They also need to determine what they want to do with the quarterback position. Just a quick side note on Dayon Buchanan, who yeah. you brought up. He fell out of the rotation in Steve Wilkes' defense this past season, John, because Wilkes came in, started to run a 4-3, whereas James Betcher ran a 3-4. So they didn't really know what to do with Buchanan. He was basically a 
sideline player, a guy that would rotate in and out. He was not an every-down player. Now they brought in Vance Joseph this offseason. They're going to return to a 3-4. So the question is, do the Cardinals value what he could do with them restoring a 3-4 defense? That's going to be something to monitor. But Buchanan is a guy that you know has been moved around between safety and linebacker. He's versatile. To your point, there's going to be some chatter about the Giants because of his familiarity with Betcher. But do they go down the road of a Josh Morrow again, John, or a Kareem Martin who was brought in because of their familiarity with the scheme? So does Buchanan top the list for the Giants? I wouldn't rule it out, but I also think Arizona is going to say, hey, we're restoring a 3-4 defense. Now we could get him back to the level that he played two years ago. Our poll question at, at Giants on Twitter, will the Giants add more offensive or defensive players in for agency? Right now, defense winning at 64-36. to I think Lance and I both agree with that as well. So continue to vote in the poll. We'll track it over the course of the show. Uh, I will take your tweets later on in the show, so make sure you get them into hashtag Giants Chat or tweet at myself, at Schmelk or at Lance Meadow. M-E-D-O-W there you go. on Twitter. I do it for you. Very and important I, caveat. Yes. I see some new names on the calling screening board here. I'm excited to see that. So let's start with Sean in California, who's been holding the longest. What's up, Shawnee? Hey, what's up, John? What's up, Lance? Long time no talk. What's going on? What's going on, John? I, um, yeah, I just wanted to um, point out some few things real fast. I just sure. want to go over some free agencies and then um, what I, I, I kind of feel like how should we attack it. And I kind of just want to go into the draft and All right, so get to it. Get your guys' opinion on it. Sure, it's, get okay, to it. Awesome. Yep. So, you know, there's rumors out there about Landon Collins killing out his block. It's, I go on Twitter, I'm reading some of these Giants fans. Most of it is most of it is good, but a lot of it is hate. And I'm I'm like, come on guys, it's another rumor. Nothing set in stone yet. Um the only reason I see why we wouldn't pick him up is I was doing, you know, some research and and he's not he's not fast enough for the scheme that they're trying to win on defense. Like David David um sorry, not David, um James Betcher. He needs like a fast safety. He wants to he wants the safety to get to the ball really fast. Landon Collins had a breakout season a couple of seasons ago, but he had a drop off in performance. He's injury prone. We kind of need like a lockdown corner. He's a really good. He's a really good. I'm sorry, safety. He's a really good safety, and I really do want to keep him. But I kind of feel like the the way that Dan Vesha is trying to shape his defense, Landon Collins doesn't really fit in. He's more like a in a box safety where he kind of needs a sideline to sideline, put him out there and cover the whole field and pressure the quarterback and hopefully the quarterback makes a bad choice and our safety can pick it off. In that, I just wanted to get into two names. How much would they cost? We'll be able to grab them both. If we don't sign Landon Collins, if we don't franchise sign Landon Collins, how would you feel about us attacking, really attacking L. Thomas and Honey Badger, both of them? I know they're free safeties, but Honey Badger also played um, – cornerback in Arizona, and he'd been in James Betcher's defense. And on top of that, attacking Dante Moncrief, 25 years old, 6'2 wide receiver, to pair up with Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, and OBJ. And, and on top of that, getting into the draft real fast, I know I'm taking a lot of time. Getting into the draft, I really believe that um, there's a trash can coming after you. Just get inside for you guys can hear me a little bit better. Yeah, but, we got you. Yeah, we got you. It's okay. You know, it's it's hard for Eli Manning to throw the ball when he gets sacked 47 times. It's easy for the media to count out Eli Manning when he gets sacked 47 times. If you look at the last end in four games, six games of the season, Eli Manning was, the offensive line was getting the proper blocks. Eli Manning was getting the, you know, the proper reads and getting the ball out. 
you know, yes, he's inconsistent, and yes, a mobile quarterback, you know, it could help an inconsistent offensive line via Kyle Murray. I believe Kyle Murray is a special player, but I believe if we shouldn't have to reach for a quarterback if we don't need it. Mm-hmm. My question to you is the draft. There's an offensive lineman. I don't know if he's a white tackle, but his name is, I believe, uh, out of Florida. Juwan Taylor. Um, Juwan, Juwan Taylor is yeah. a right tackle. If yes. you, can, you guys can talk more about him, uh, Thomas and Honey Badger and Dante Moncrief. Thank you so much. I'll take the answer off there. Yeah, appreciate it. All right. What do you want to start, Lance? Pick your poison. I mean, I'll eliminate. I don't think the Giants are going to take Kyler Murray. So, I mean, I really don't think we need to hash that out. We've spent a lot of time on previous programs. I just don't think he's the fit of the type of quarterback they've invested in previously. So I'm not going to rule anything out this early, but based off history, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, as far as the safety position is concerned, regardless of what happens with Landon Collins, John, you can argue the Giants are going to look to upgrade free safety. Right. Or perhaps, you know, look at their options in free agency in the draft. Curtis Riley was there. They moved him around. Michael Thomas proved to be valuable, but he also played somewhat in the slot. So are they going to look to rely on a veteran, or are they going to go into free agency? I mean, to say, to bring up other safeties and say, well, they're free safeties and not strong safeties, I would argue the safety position overall is a position where the Giants should focus on on both ends this offseason, whether it be through the draft or free agency. So I wouldn't rule out any of the candidates at that position. No, I, I would be surprised, though, if they end up spending big money on two players at that position just because there are so many other needs elsewhere. But yeah, I mean, look, you need a safety that can play the box, and you need a safety that can play deep. You need two different types of players. Landon is obviously the guy that plays better close to the line of scrimmage. He's not your center fielder type. That's the type of guy the Giants will be looking for theoretically in free agency or the draft, depending on what happens, obviously, with Landon. So Earl Thomas is that guy. But like we talked about when we went through the free agents, I would just tread very carefully there with his injury history the last few years. And frankly, based on his whole contract deal with the Seahawks last year, doesn't sound like he's a guy that's like, all right, I'll, I'll take a discount to come yeah, play for no, you. I don't see that happening either. Yeah, he wanted more money. That was yeah. one of the issues. So do you really want to bring in another headache, or do you want to lock up that much money to your point in one position? Now, the franchise tag is always an option with Landon Collins. So, you know, they could at least solidify him for one year and then determine where they want to go. And there are other quality safety fridge. But here's another thing to keep in mind, John. Remember last year, the safety market did not pan out the way most free agent safeties expected it to Correct. be. Correct. It took a while for a lot of those veterans to be signed. Teams waited for the draft. Or is it going to follow a similar game plan this offseason? If anything, I think that bodes very well for most teams that are in the interest of looking for a safety. If not, you know, then perhaps it changes the mindset of the Giants. But if it's going to be a repeat of last year, a lot of safeties did not get big money, or at least the type of money they anticipated or hoped because the free agent market completely developed differently. I think that was all his points. Did we miss anything? Trying to see. He did bring up with respect to the offensive line. Yeah, look. talking about right tackle. The whole right side of the offensive line has to be better. You know, you want to bring Jamon Brown back, okay. He's not, you know, he's not like an all-pro caliber player. Uh, Center, we'll see what they do. Spencer Pulley was solid second half of the year. He was okay. Uh, They like John Jalapio a whole lot. So, but would they rule out an upgrade of that position if the right guy's out there and fringe to the draft? I would say probably not. But, look, everyone knows the offense has to be more consistent. It got better in the second half of the year because they didn't ask them to pass protect quite as much, especially out of shotgun and things of that nature. A lot more play action, not as many straight dropbacks and all that sort of stuff. So, you still need to do work there, especially on the right side. I think you're pretty happy with Nate Sold and Will Hernandez. They're going to be there for a while together. 
and then you figure out the rest as you go. Well, there's a few offensive linemen in the draft, and they could very well go in that direction. I don't know if this crop of free agents, John, is as strong as perhaps some previous years. And let's face it, top offensive linemen, I'll say this time and time again, are always retained by their respective teams. They don't hit the free agent market. And if they do, they get paid an awful lot of money. So the players that are going to hit the free agent market are usually journeymen, John players that have moved from team to team or a player coming off a breakout campaign and looking to cash in, but there's not always that consistent factor. So you've got to be cautious when you go after a free agent offensive lineman to see, was it a flash or is it somebody that's a really good fit for our system? That's why more often than not, teams choose to develop youngsters and feel they can get a bargain on a rookie contract. 201-939-4513. Let's go to line three, Kevin of North Carolina. Matt, Kevin, what's up? How you guys doing? Long Good. time. This is the first time calling. Well, thanks for calling in, Kevin. What's up? Yeah, I was just want to touch on Eli Manning. A lot of people tell us that uh, Eli is washed up and all of that. Well, if they look at the beginning of the season and the second half of the season, in the second half of the season, I think he made a lot of the throws that he can make because he had the time to make the throws. The offensive line played better. The running game was better. So I don't think that we really need to really press for a quarterback right now or reach for one. Well, Kevin, here's the thing. I, no one ever sees any shades of gray at Eli Manning. Is he the same guy that he was in 2011? No. Can he still make all the throws? Yes. Does he do it as consistently, consistently as he used to? No, probably not. But that doesn't mean if you put the right pieces around them, you, kill st- you, you still can't win with the guy. Do they have to get a quarterback this offseason no matter what? No. But, and this is a big but with a capital B-U-T-T, all right? you're going to have to do something in the next year or two because Eli is almost 40 years old. So you're going to have to figure something out of that spot sometime soon. Yep. And uh, our defense, man, we had a lot of those games won in the second half of the season, the Cowboys game, the Eagles game. Uh, what other one? Um, Colts. What's another one? I hear you. Colts. The Colts, Colts game, right. one, yeah. And they gave up. They gave up the points. That wasn't Eli's fault. Eli played well in those games, and he put us in position to win. We need talent on the defensive end of the ball. So I think going into this draft, everybody's saying get Haskins. I think for the sixth pick, we need a pass rusher, a pass rusher big time. We need safeties and linebackers. Defense is what I think we should go in the draft, and I'll take it offline. No, Kevin, Kevin, Kev, Kev, Kevin, real quick, I want to ask you a question. But it, if Gettleman and you know Chris Pettit and the rest of the scouting staff and Pat Shermer are all, are decide that they think either Haskins or Murray are their franchise quarterback, you wouldn't have a problem picking them at six if they think he's good enough to go there, would you? No, not if they think we're good enough to go there. But there we I go. think we Perfect. need more needs than just the quarterback at, at that no, point. No, absolutely, no question. But Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate the call, bud. Also, yep. once yep. again, d- despite the fact that there are needs at those positions that the caller said, you're also drafting for not just 2019. Yeah. Dave Gettleman's not going into this draft saying, well, we need to add a few more pass rushers, so let's just grab a pass rusher. Yeah, if you feel that pass rusher is a guy that's going to thrive under his rookie contract and then worthy of signing after that, then yes, go ahead. So they're thinking big picture. They're not just thinking... The short term, and with respect to the quarterback, there's nothing wrong with saying Eli Manning is still reliable, still productive, but at the same time, we need to think about the future. Yeah. You can have both of those philosophies run in line with one another. And there has I to don't be think there's anything wrong with that. And there has to be some level of urgency in terms of the future too. It's not like all right, three day, three years down the road, we got to figure something out. You might have to figure something out next year. 
depending on what happens, of course, because right now Eli is only under contract for one more year, and unless they extend it, he could very well be a lame duck quarterback going through this season. And yes, then you're going to have the land of the unknown throughout the year entering 2020. So yeah, I, I think there's a little bit more urgency compared to other teams, but I just think from a philosophical standpoint, it's not bad to say Eli Manning can still be productive, but at the same time, you have to prioritize who's going to be your future quarterback. Correct. You, you can take care of both of those at the same time. And, and also you could say, currently Eli Manning's the best quarterback on the roster, but we also need to think about what we're going to do in 2020 and 2021. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat. Again, I will read your tweets later on in the show, so make sure you get them in at Schmelk, at Lance Meadow, or at hashtag Giants chat. Julian in Florida on line two. Julian? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great, Julian. What's up? Not much, man. Uh, It's been a while since I've uh, actually been on the show. I think I got on the show um, in the beginning of the season. Um, I have to take my hats off to Jeff Eagles. I know he's not there now, but uh, you guys got to let him know that uh, some of the fans were listening to him when before the season started last year. He looked at the schedule. I don't know if he was. I think he was on with uh, with Russ, and mm-hmm. he. They were looking at the schedule, and Russ was a little excited, saying, "You know, we, we got we had a good draft. We're gonna do, we're gonna do pretty decent this year. I don't, you know, maybe not the playoffs. We're gonna at least go, you know, pretty good record." And Jeff Teagles was the only one to say. I don't think we're going to win the first eight games. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you, Julian. And I remember it was... listening to that and saying, "Wow, th- why is he being so negative?" But look at that. So, <laughs> hey, look, um, we, we 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 all knew going into last year, the first half of that season, the schedule was going to be really, really rough, and they basically had to survive the first half of the season and go three and five, let's say, and then you could try to make a run in the second half of the year. And if they would have done that, if they would have went three and five in the first half, you're looking at a seven and nine record and, you know, you were close in the two games late in the year. Who knows what happens? So, yeah, I mean, I think Feegs was probably right on. And from the start of the year, he said, look, if they go in eight this year, to me, that's a very good year. And Feegs was on top of that from the beginning last year. Well, and it also goes back to 2016 when they did win 11 games and all the games that went down to the wire that easily could have went the opposite direction. I've said this time and time again. That was an 11-win team. Nobody's taking anything away from it, but it was far from a dominant 11-win team. Every, they were not beating everybody by a touchdown or more. Every single team each year, and again, it swings in some years one way or the other more more so than not. They're going to win close games, and they're going to lose close games. Usually those even out to around 500, maybe a little bit better for the better teams in the league, worse for the worst teams in the league. That's why teams get the records they get because they're winning games by a couple touchdowns here or there. They're, every game is not going down to the wire because that's when one bad play, random chance, bad luck, that can sink a game either way if you're playing close games late fourth quarter. And if you don't execute consistently, yeah. that's how you get the record you get. And that's the beauty of football, right, gentlemen? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, besides that, what I do wanted to kind of cover, I know you guys uh, got, got more of a show to do. So um, I'll just leave you with some questions. Um, Olivier Vernon, do you guys feel like he is worthy to keep? Maybe we should cut, pay, uh, pay cut, trade him. Um, kind of your opinion on that. And then also, uh, I have not listened to the show in a while, so I yeah. just wanted to ask, what was your opinion on number six pick at being a quarterback? Um, you, I, I, from what I hear, it sounds like you guys are not leaning towards that personally. That you guys would like to go either O line or, or defense, correct? Uh, sure, Julian. Thanks for the call, man. We appreciate it. Um, the quarterback question. Uh, I think I'm more open to it than Lance is at this point. 
I, I think that would probably be fair to say Lance is more open to Haskins there than he would be to Murray, just based on their well, body I type. Well, I like Murray. I know you I, do. I just don't think that it's a fit for the Giants. Right. But I am a fan of Murray's play, but mm-hmm. I, I think Haskins is much more of a fit for the Giants. I think both guys are first-round picks. I think both guys are top-20 picks. I have not looked at enough of the other players to figure out exactly where they land in that top-20, top-25 range. I think Haskins has a higher floor but a lower ceiling. I think Murray has the potential if he can figure out the way Drew Brees has and the way Russell Wilson has to work around some of those issues and you know with the height and then also to solve some of those you know fine-tuned quarterback problems he has and you know we had Derek Klassen on last week he did a great job breaking it down for us you know bailing on the pocket too quick um, one read and bail, you know, that sort of stuff. If he can get past that, he could be a dynamite NFL quarterback with his arm strength, his accuracy, and his mobility. He could be special. So I, I've kind of gone back and forth here. Luckily, I don't have to make my final decision for two more months. But, you know, Murray's tempting. And I, I, I think if I had to place a bet right now, I think Murray gets drafted before Haskins because I think a team is going to fall in love with the raw physical tools and the upside and say, boy, if we figure out how to use this guy right, he could be like Pat Mahomes special. Yeah, it's possible both guys are even off the board before the Giants I, pick at six. And someone had a great stat. 17 of the last 18 drafts, a quarterback has been taken in the top three. So all it takes is that one team to feel very strongly about that quarterback and move up. And Arizona... Right now, I think is playing its cards right because of all the speculation about Rosen makes teams think twice whether or not they should move up. And if anything, Arizona could wind up with a nice group of selections, mm. and they've got many needs. And San Francisco's also set at quarterback, so that's another team that probably would welcome multiple picks too. The question is, do they want to give up on Nick Bosa? Well, that's the million because dollar question. He's re- he yeah. he and Quinn and Williams are the two guys that to me are separated from the rest of this group, and one plays three technique which to me is turning into just as an, a premium position as defensive end with the play of Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox and guys like that. Pressure up the middle is so valuable. And you have Nick Bosa, who's obviously the best pass rusher in the draft and it's not close. So it's not just, you know, we don't need the quarterback, let's trade down. It's who can we get if we trade down to, you know, 6, 7, 8, 12, 13, wherever they would go. As compared to Williams and Bosa. Yeah. That's the trick. Do you miss out on a game-changing defensive player? And I would say that San Francisco and Arizona are both in need of upgrades on defense. So yeah. he makes sense for both of those teams if you want to start to speculate. And if one of them truly value Nick Bosa, then you just stay there and you make the pick. And you don't even think twice. And then let a team try to move up perhaps behind where you're selecting. But a lot is going to be told based on how free agency plays out, where some of these veteran quarterbacks go. And also what the combine and the months leading up to the draft do for some of these stocks. Because Murray and Haskins, somebody's going to skyrocket. They're going to have also their pro days. And you're going to see stocks rise and fall. It always happens like that. 201-939-4513. That actually, do we want to address Vernon? Oh, that's right. I think the uh, question was about Vernon as well. Go ahead. Well, I think Vernon has still great value on this team. When he was healthy in the second half of the season, he produced. He was probably there. Probably the best defensive player. The eye test showed that. So everybody who's in a hurry to get rid of Olivier Vernon, my question back to you is, what's plan B for you? 
You show me how they're going to replace Vernon like that in the blink of an eye. And don't tell me, well, you're going to draft this guy, you're going to draft that guy. First of all, question marks come with any draft picks, regardless of how great they were in college. Vernon, at least, is a proven commodity. He's been with the organization. He's under contract. You know what he could do. I think there's value in keeping him around because I don't see another pass rusher on the roster that's going to provide his production and then some. And you have to use the money you save if you let him go to yeah. sign somebody else that's not going to be as good as him. And so it's going to still cost you money, though. Correct. To go out and get a new So you're going to have no cost savings, and you're going to have a worse yeah. player. How is that going to help you? And also, the other thing I don't want to hear is I don't want to hear that Vernon is plagued by injuries. He goes through another season, John. He misses a number of games. You know, then we could start to maybe bring up that label. Vernon never missed a game during his entire tenure with the Miami Dolphins. Okay, he had the issue in terms of this past season and at the tail end of the previous year. Two but, ankle injuries back-to-back -back years. But he then played full slate of games his first year. So yeah. when you take that into consideration, I would not automatically drop the label on injury plate player, not durable. Let's see what happens, assuming he stays with the team, and then we could have that conversation. I still think it's extremely premature. I got a bad feeling about Probably. this. Hallelujah. I haven't heard this in quite some time. I know. I think the show has improved as a result of that. Enough jokes. I am happy. You're a madman. And here we go. Hello, Chuckles. How are you? Hey, John. Hey, Lance. Hey, my phone is uh, on low battery, so if I That's good if news. I get cut off, I'll call back on another phone, okay? Well, or, or we'll just wait for a future program. But anyway, <laughs> you might as well make your point real quick here, Charlie. Time is money. Okay. I, 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 I'm going to just talk about the offensive line right at this moment. What so stunning. just what yeah. you said, Lance. You know, why do we always hold on to the bums and keep them forever, but our Pro Bowl players we want to get rid of? We want to let Collins walk. We want to trade Odell. No, Charlie, we want to get rid of First of all, they're not trying to trade at Old Beckham Jr. That wasn't the report. That wasn't the story. If you read the actual reports and the stories that were out there, other teams called the Giants. And Glazer know, had a prediction. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If we did but you, what that, you're saying is factually incorrect. Scenario, it would be totally insanity if we ever did that. Okay. That's well, yes, yes, well, yes. Charlie, you are correct. If a team chooses to keep bad players and get rid of their good ones, that's insanity. But it's no all, question about that. I mean, it's all speculation, okay. Charlie. That's all. Yeah, I know. Right. I know. So I'm just saying if that does happen, okay. it's insanity. Okay, now the offensive line. Just like it would we be insanity to re-sign Will Beatty, but that's a whole other subject. <laughs> and if anybody yeah. knows about him, insanity. Right tackle. <laughs> it is, Wheeler, Charlie, yeah. Wheeler, there's 10 or 12 offensive linemen in free agency that are better than Wheeler. Wheeler was ranked like now 46 points in the pro football focus, one of the worst in the league. How the tune has changed. I remember two weeks after Chad Wheeler went in for Eric Flowers, and it was like, oh, the whole season's turning around. Look at I this. This said, is yeah, fantastic. I just said Charlie wanted Flowers out of that spot, but he would have taken the bum across the street from where he lives <laughs> to play that position. He would have stood in that cone up at 5'10". Beggars can't be choosers when they're in Charlie's position, yes. Well, okay, let me name a few guys that are free sure. agent tackles sure. that we yeah. should be able to get. Okay? Name names. Okay, there's a guy out of Pittsburgh called Matt Feeler. He, uh, he was a solid fill-in for Marcus Gilbert when Marcus. he was injured last year. He's only 27 years old. Uh, he would be a good guy to bring in. There's a guy from the Redskins. He's uh, 33, Ty Neske. Yeah. Um, but he played swing tackle, and when Trent Williams went down, he played very well. He's the same age as, guess who, Will Beatty. So I'm just saying as a swing tackle. But the, and then you got James out of Miami. You got 
Patriots has got to hang on to James or they would be stupid to let him go. But And then there's also this guy, George Fant, out of uh, Seahawks. Uh, crazy athletic ability. He needs to be coached up. So that might not work for us since we can't coach up any offensive lineman, it seems. And in the center position, you got Matt Paradise out there. The guy has been raised the top two centers in the league. And we need to bring him in. So how, this is how I fixed the line. Jalapio has only played two games at center. Let him compete against Trent Brown for the right guard position. Now, and Dell Williams is out there, bring him in. I know he has an injury, but it wouldn't hurt to bring him in and see what he's got. So now you've got, you've got the center position with a great center and leader, and now you have a right tackle, either Williams or James or whoever you want to bring in, and bring in a veteran swing tackle, and Wheeler is gone as far as I'm concerned. So, Charlie, now pretty much. Depth on that so, basically, line. what you're telling me is that you want to spend all your money on the offensive line and don't add anybody on defense this offseason. I want to finish this damn offensive line so once yes. and for all. So yes. yes. Okay. Sounds good. All right. I just want to make sure I understood where you were coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Definitely. Okay, guys. All right, Take Charlie. it easy, my friend. Yeah. Hey, look, I get where he's coming from on that. I do. But great offense does do a lot of good if you score 27 and the other team is scoring 34. Well, he named about five different offensive linemen. I'm guessing he misspoke and he meant Jamon Brown and not Trent Brown at right guard. And he would compete. In all likelihood, that's probably Palapino. what he meant. That's You're what giving him the meant. benefit of the doubt. I don't know if I want to, but that would make a lot more sense than taking the Patriots starting left tackle and bringing him into play guard. Yeah, right guard, no. No, <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's But then again, Charlie is unconventional, so <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't rule anything past him, John. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. And look, there are guys out there, this free agent class, that can move in and play right tackle. And generally speaking, despite the fact that I think right tackles are just as important as left tackles, the market hasn't seemed to catch up to that point yet. You can tend to maybe get right tackles a little bit less expensive than left tackles. So maybe a guy like Darrell Williams coming off a leg injury, you get him for a little bit of a discount, and that'll help you be more flexible elsewhere. You know, who knows? We'll see. But there are a few guys I think that can help and be an upgrade at right tackle that are on the free agent market. I don't think any of the guys that are really good would be bargain basement because tackles are never a bargain basement anymore. But there are a number of guys out there that I think can be upgrades. Charlie, in that regard, is correct. But I would not bring in... If you want to bring in somebody to compete at center, great. I would not bring in a center you have to pay Weston Richburg money to like no, he got from the 49ers. absolutely no sense. I mean, Mitch Morris, for example, is going to be a yep. free agent from the Chiefs. They've got other priorities. And every time Dave Gettleman has talked about Jalapio, he's spoken very highly of him. So has yeah. Pat Shermer. So I wouldn't just dismiss him. I understand there's a little bit of the unknown coming off the injury, but, John, he got hurt in the second game of the season at Dallas. Yep. By mm-hmm. the time the spring comes around, and we're going to know a lot more when these guys get back on the field where he is in terms of his rehab, but I don't think there's any threat that he wouldn't be ready for the start of the 2019 season. All right, I got three callers to go. I'm going to get to your Twitter questions, though, first. I try to do that around 45 of every show. So Len, Tony, and Woody, I will get to the three of you in that order as soon as I go through some of the tweets I got, okay? So hang tight. It's all brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Um, Andre, how risky of a signing would Deion Buchanan be? His PFF scores outside of 15 have been less than mediocre. Um, Gettleman signed Martin last year into the Cardinal. He says he hasn't worked out. I think Cream Martin was fine last year. I don't know what you're expecting out of him. I thought what they asked him to do, he was fine. Uh, Would he try another former Cardinal? Uh, It's a good question. I think Buchanan is that faster run-and-hit linebacker. I agree. I don't think he's an all-pro level guy. I think you can get him 
you know, on the cheap. Maybe on the cheap's the wrong word, but you can get him for a more affordable price. He's a guy that's converted from safety to linebacker. Uh, what are your thoughts on Buchanan there, Lance? Well, I brought up Buchanan earlier when we were going through the top 100 free agents, and I said immediately he's got that connection to James Betcher. I don't know how much you could take away from 2017, 2018, excuse me, because as I mentioned, he fell out of the rotation. Steve Wilkes didn't really know what to do with him. It was a 4-3 defense, and he was a better fit for 3-4. So don't throw out any numbers you have for me. I really don't think it holds much stock. I would entertain it, absolutely. Anybody who has familiarity with James Betcher's system, the whole point is he wants to implement his scheme. He wants players that know his scheme. He wants players that fit into his scheme. If the price is right, that would be a player I would entertain. Betcher likes versatile hybrid players. Buchanan was a hybrid player who thrived in his system. Now, we're assuming that he was happy with Buchanan. We don't know that for sure, but that's the assumption you're operating under there. Um, And again, I think Cream Martin was fine last year. I think he was solid. I think he had a couple rough games early in the year. Where he messed up, where it looked, and by the way, it looks like he messed up on a couple read option plays earlier in the year. I looked into it, folks. It wasn't his fault. Linebacker's supposed to crawl around on those plays. Well, um, probably the the roughest for him was uh, running into Cam. Yo, that, that, yeah, that, yeah, that did not, remember, yes. that, that did not go well for Kareem. He's a good dude, though, no, too. I absolutely. like Kareem. I, I think Kareem actually had a very solid year last year. Well, I think he's exactly what you want. For what they needed yeah. out of him, and, and a guy like Josh Morrow, after he served the suspension. Morrow was very good when very he came well. back. Exactly. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. why I said there's value to having players that can come in, and they're not learning a new scheme. If anything, they're helping the rest of the players on the roster. Dylan Davis, since the safety position has been a topic of interest, what are your thoughts? There's some Dylan Davis. What are your thoughts on Sean Chandler? Do you think he can have a shot at a starting role? His role increased as the season went along. I thought when they trusted him to cover in the slot, he actually did a pretty good job. Uh, I like him in that role more than I've seen him as kind of like that center fielder type spot. So I'd like to see more from him. He's obviously from a small program. He's raw. But I think he will be given the opportunity to compete for a role on this defense. Maybe not an every down role, but as a, uh, for a role in this defense this offseason. I think they're happy with how he grew as a rookie. Yeah, he and both Michael Thomas were valuable because when guys went down v injury and they made some changes with Curtis Riley, they turned mm-hmm. to those two. And to your point, not only did Sean Chandler have the ability to move into the slot, so did Michael Thomas. So I think both of those players are going to have opportunities to be moved around within the defense. But I still think the Giants are going to look to add a new face into the secondary, specifically at the safety position. All right, I got two questions from Booker. They're both kind of complex. So, Booker, I'm going to save one of these for tomorrow, and I'm going to hit this one with Lance now. I might actually hit both these with with Fiegels as well. All right, so, Lance, I'll go this one with you. Could you guys compare and contrast the way that the top five teams build and maintain their rosters against the way that the bottom five teams try to build and maintain their roster? Are there two to three things top teams consistently do? Well, I wrote about this a couple weeks ago after the Super Bowl with the Patriots and their ability to turn over their roster. And what I love the thing the Patriots do specifically is take advantage of compensatory picks, how they're not afraid to let a guy walk. They consistently have the most compensatory picks in the league. Uh, They get a lot of these extra third and fourth and fifth round picks. They have a volume of selections. And the other thing I like about the Patriots, Lance, if they get a player, whether it's in the draft or in free agency, and they quickly figure out this guy's not for us, they have no thought of thinking, boy, if we could get rid of this guy, right? 
we're going to look bad, right? I mean, that, that's a bad look. We just signed the draft. Okay, we're going to cut him this quickly? <laughs> Belichick does not care. He will oh, get yeah. rid of second-round picks in their second year. He's cutting guys left and right. Remember Coney Ely last year? They brought him in. He was there for like three weeks. They got rid of him. So and they, they traded for him, too. They, they, they are not afraid to move on from players that are not fits for their system. And, and I think that's a good thing that other teams in the league can emulate a little bit more. To me, I think it also starts with the front office, John, and the coaching staff. I think if you look through the teams that have consistently made the playoffs, there's not a great deal of turnover. They preach patience. And they work well together. Yeah, the communication lines are very strong. But look at New England. It goes without saying Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick, the front office. And as they lose individuals, by the way, because New England's lost a lot of assistance. Brian Flores, for example, is going to Miami. They promote from within. Yeah. They're very good at grooming young assistants to get ready to move up the ladder. I mean, how many OCs has Tom Brady had? He's had a number of guys. How many DCs have been on their Belichick or their equivalent of defensive play well, call yeah. or whatever? Well, Bill O'Brien was Tom Brady's yeah. offensive coordinator. He's now with the Texans. Josh McDaniels has had multiple stints. Go back to Charlie, Charlie Weiss. Weiss. Yeah, Romeo Cornell is another guy that served as defensive coordinator. Pe- Gene Pease. Pepper Johnson, I think, was a, was a DC for a year, right? I think he may have just been uh, as high as defensive line coach. You don't think he ever got that? I don't, you don't think, think he, got he the ever DC? got I thought he the did. DC. Okay, he you might have. be right. You I, might be right. I thought defensive line was his uh, highest role. Patricia, obviously. Yeah, Patricia's another guy. Mm-hmm. But all of them have had ties to the organization. They were positional coaches, and they moved up the ladder and so forth. So that, to me, is a big part of why the top franchises are consistently making the playoffs because they treat their coaching staff like they treat the roster. They coach coaches up. They coach players up. So that is the one thing you have to have, your house in order atop the franchise. You don't have your house in order atop the franchise and you're preaching turnover after turnover after turnover. It's just not going to happen. There were eight vacancies, John, this offseason for new coaches. And if you look through the teams, if you went from top to bottom, the teams that had more success than the others, there's no surprise that the Bengals were at the top of the list. You could say all you want about their first-round exits, but Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton and Mike Brown, their owner and president, they stayed put and they were consistently making the play for that very reason because every time the court of public opinion called for change, they didn't necessarily say, hey, we've got to now flip the script. That's the reason why they were in the play of so many years. And you have to, yeah, look, you have to build through the draft and you can't depend on That goes without saying. I mean, that's basic one-on-one stuff. Is he always overpaying for agency? Develop people within your organization. Develop late-round picks. Hit on late-round picks. Again, I can hit on all of them. But if you hit on one late-round pick a year, if you get one day three guy each year that turns out to be a, a starter for you, it's a big win. Yeah. It's a big win. Well, think about this. The Steelers, for example, which is another organization that belongs in this conversation, even though they're dealing with some drama now. Yeah, Antonio Brown... Antonio Brown was not a first-round pick, John. It wasn't a second-round pick. It was a late-round pick out of Central Michigan. There were questions about what he would do at the next level. So, yeah, you've got to be able to do your research. You have to be able to hit more often than miss in the draft because it does absolute wonders. People talk about the window is small when you have a rookie quarterback. Well, the teams that overcome that are the teams that do well around the roster aside from quarterback, and they don't have to go on a spending spree, and they can afford to pay a QB. That's the biggest difference. All right, let's get back to the calls and finish off with the phones in 201-939-4513. Len in Columbia, Maryland. Hello, Len. Hey, hey, guys. How you doing? What's up? Doing all right, Len. That uh, SI list was, a, was an interesting list. Um, 
and that they were all unrestricted free agents. I, I don't think they mixed in yeah, the other two categories of free agents. I yes. think those, they were all unrestricted free agents. Um, only two giants on the list. Uh, you know, Collins in the top ten, and I think Brown was in somewhere around 52 or 54, somewhere in there. You, we don't need to know exactly, but she's only two of all of our free agents in that top 100. Um, yeah, he's 56, Jermon Brown. I'm sorry? Jermon Brown's Brown? 56. For 56, okay. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't know whether that's uh, you know worthy of a signing or not, but uh, just looking at it and seeing only two of our players in there, kind of, I thought, geez, maybe maybe Wynn would slip in from 90 to 100, uh, you know, somewhere in there. And even Edwards. Edwards is a you know, pretty good player. Um, and and uh, uh, Lance, interestingly enough, Preston Smith, we talked about him yesterday. I saw that. Mm-hmm. I, I think he was 48. Yeah, and they actually yeah. said they yeah. are not going to franchise tag him. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on from Washington's perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm not suggesting that maybe that's the replacement for Olivia Vernon. I want the Giants to keep Vernon. But uh, he's, he's, uh, he, Smith's a pretty good player. Um, if I counted correctly, we've got 10 picks, if you count Beal, before the comp picks, likely to get two comp picks so we're up to now they'll you know this is they're they're going to be late but we'll be up to uh 12 picks at that point and that's that's a pretty healthy number uh you know we can begin dealing some of those late ones if we can if we figure out we can upgrade our roster but we're, we're going to have a lot of young players and a lot of opportunities to bring in some young players so i i like that number and i say hang on hey you know hang on as best you can particularly to the early ones um how, how do you get in? If you're a player, how do you get? The, oh, I, I wanted to say one other thing about draft picks. Uh, our fifth round pick, McIntosh, from last year. Yeah. Um, we really don't know much about him at this point. But the the one thing that I felt about him, you know, he he got out on the field in those last five games, and you know he he didn't look lost. I I think maybe he got winded because <laughs> because well, he's he been sitting out all season because of the injury. Or the illness, whatever it was, um, but you know, he looks like he might turn out to be a pretty good player. I'm, uh, you know, I'm almost counting him and the, that group of young players. Um, well, you know, it was somewhat of a redshirt year for him last year. There's no doubt about that. But yeah. th- the reason why I don't think he looked lost is because even though he wasn't out on the practice field, he was still in the classroom. So I mean, well, he was true. around the scheme, learning yeah. and being coached up. He just couldn't necessarily carry it out onto the field at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think he's uh, – I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what he can do in camp and with this team. I think he's probably going to make the team next year somewhere. They're not going to get rid of a fifth-round pick. Um, just, just kind of a curious question. And, uh, um, how do you, if you're a player, how do you get invited to the Combine? Uh, basically, who, who, who invites you? Basically, you ha- they kind of – I don't know if they poll, but they kind of get a feel from teams around the league of the players that they want to see. And I then see. that's how they determine who they invite. So it's not like the Senior Bowl, which is a separate operation. The NFL determines who gets invited to the NFL Combine. Okay, but 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 they take a lot of recommendations from the teams themselves. I would imagine, yes. Uh, I, I guess I'm, what, I'm, what I'm really looking at is the number this year is the largest uh, that they've ever had. I mean, it, it exceeds. I mean, it's almost 50 players past the, the last person who would be drafted, if that makes any sense. I think they're up around 325 or 330, and there's only about 250 or 255 that get drafted. Yep. So that, that's a lot of extra, 
You know, I was just wondering who who identifies those last seventy five players. Yeah, and last year there were between one hundred and one hundred and fifty players that were at the combine that did not get drafted, and I think there were probably around thirty to fifty that did not get invited to the combine but did get drafted. So wow. you know, it, it, it's, wow. it's it's funny how that those works. Are, those are yeah, it's funny how those works. All right, hey, thanks for taking my call. Go Thank Giants. you, Len. Appreciate right, Len. the call. Appreciate Good the call. stuff. Yeah, I mean, look, Philip Lindsay didn't get invited to the combine last year. I watched Penny Hart turn every defensive back that tried to cover him at the Senior Bowl into pretzels. Made him look silly. He didn't get invited to the Combine. To me, he could be a starting slot receiver in this league next year. I don't know how the process works, but it's not perfect. But it rarely is. This is a subjective business, so they do the best they can. Well, and that's why if you're a high-end player, you probably scouted him during the regular season. Of course. At the beginning. Yeah, pro days so, and all that stuff, And you know too, what? It's maybe fine. it's a good thing that yeah. the guy's not going to come to the combine if it's somebody low on the radar because maybe he'll fall yeah. to you under those circumstances. Actually, you know what? For teams that really like some of these guys, they're actually probably happy of that course. they're not at the combine. I would. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Let's keep it quiet on this prospect. Let's not talk about him. Let's go to Tony in North Carolina, and then Woody, you'll be our final caller after that. Tony, what's up? Hey, John. Hey, Lance. Uh... Love listening to you guys. Always a great show. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah. Hey, uh, quick question. Quick offense, quick defense. Um, just a quick question about Eli and some things I've noticed. You know, I DVR all the games and kind of, you know, break them down a little bit and watch them two or three times. And it appears to me that um, sometimes it looks like Eli, he's had some predetermined throws versus, you know, making his read, the progression. So I was curious if you had seen the same thing because I know you guys break down the – the games as well. Well, Tony, there are sometimes and, that, that that pre-snap, if you have like a hot read or something like that, based on what you see pre-snap, that's what you're going to do. Obviously, beyond that, a quarterback should always avoid predetermining their throws. It's generally a very bad idea and a bad way to do it. And I didn't think I saw right. Eli outside of those situations where he knows that there's only six guys blocking, but seven guys blitzing or something like that, where he right. decides before the snap what he's going to do with the ball. Well, and also keep in mind, usually when a team gets the ball to start, they usually script the plays and they go through what they're looking to run on that first drive. But then again, I don't think any quarterback should have the mindset he knows where he's going to go with the football because he doesn't know what defense is going to present. You could practice 10, 15 plays to start and everything could be on the same page and the defense throws a curveball. So, I mean, it's very difficult for the quarterback to even have the mindset that I'm automatically going to go to this receiver if all of a sudden the guy's double covered or there's a different defensive scheme that is showcased. Right. I was just curious if, if the, maybe that was a play call like that as well coming from the sidelines that, hey, you know, instead of going through your progression, let's, let's go this direction or that. It just, it just seemed like that watching. But that, that makes sense, too. The defense kind of dictates that. Right. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. And there's always a target on every play, a first option. Correct. But more often than not, you can't necessarily always go in that direction. So to your point, yeah, coach is probably saying, hey, this play is geared towards getting Odell Beckham in the open field. But that doesn't mean you're going to get him on your first read. And no matter what, that's who you throw right. to. That, 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 trust yeah. me, a coach never tells a quarterback, throw to this guy no matter what. That, that's not going to ever happen. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Hey, and, uh, defensively, um, and I know you guys break down that defensive side of the ball um, as well. A uh, couple things I noticed, um, it just seems like, uh, and you know, not to call him out or anything, but Alec Ogletree is, is out of position um, maybe more times than, than – should be, and I, I don't know if you've seen that as well. Um, you know, and if if so, I, you know why, or maybe that's just uh, uh, just something I'm seeing. Not Tony. Um, I think Al Goldtree made some big plays, and uh, we're past one. We got a roll. I got one more call. I got to squeeze in, Tony. Thanks for the call. Um, 
Ogletree made some big plays last year. He had some big takeaways. The couple interceptions against the Bears in that, that game, huge. for example, yeah. was, was gigantic. He had an interception against the Niners a couple weeks before that, right on the little slant pass at the start of that game from yes, Mullen. Does that sound right? one against Tampa Bay, or, if I'm correct? Was it Indy? No, it was, was Tampa. It was Tampa, I think. He had four interceptions second half of the year. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Very opportunistic. And yeah. But I do think there are plays where sometimes there are missed opportunities. I think, Tony, I think your statement was fair. And I think part of that is when he's just been matched up in coverage mm-hmm. against an extremely talented tight end or a wide receiver, whatever they look to match up with him. Let me put it this way. When I went getting inside the films ready, there were not a whole lot of, you know, Ogletree in the backfield tackle for lost plays. 201-939-4513. And, you know, everyone talks about the defensive line with the run defense, too. It's not linebackers also. It's not just the defensive line. Woody and Walton will wrap us up. Woody! Hey, how you doing, guys? What's going on, pal? Hey, uh, well, hey, long-time listener, first-time caller. I've always had to wait awesome. until after That's I got home from work. Now I'm retired. Ah, tremendous, Very Woody. Nice. Good to hear from you. And please call All back right. often. I want to talk about the cap situation because nobody seems to realize that we got to have about $10 million to sign our draft class. Yeah. <laughs> that, Woody, and you also, by the way, have to keep money aside as well to pay off incentives and have money reserved during the season if you want to make any additions to your roster when guys get hurt. So it's not like you see the cap space. You're hundred. I'm so happy you called and made that point. And you can spend every dime. It doesn't work that way. Well, and here's the other thing, and I'll let you continue, Woody. Also, just for the logistics of the salary cap, if they give the franchise tag, this is for any team, John. That's a placeholder. Oh yeah. You can't then just say, well, while this guy's determining whether or not he wants to sign the tag, we're going to go out and sign everybody else. No, it becomes a placeholder, which counts against your cap. Yeah, that was the other point I wanted to make. Because if they do tag Collins. That's another $11 million. You're down to $7 million, and we haven't even talked about Jalapio or Pulley or Brown Kerry or Wynn. or any of those guys yet. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. Woody, you're 100% correct. Yeah, and, and how are we going to come up with some extra cash? I mean, I know I'm looking out over the gap here. Like, the first six guys take up half of our cap space. Can we restructure any of those guys? I mean, other candidates to restructure there? Well, look. Come up with some extra money because we need extra money. No, we need a right back horribly bad. What do you look? I, I, I hear you. What do extra cap space is always great, but I would be with where. Let me try how I can phrase this properly. With where the Giants are in terms of their rebuilding process, I would not be comfortable pushing more money further down the road. I would be more apt to be wanting to clear up your cap issues quickly and deal with the pain now, so you can make those additions later. Then I would be to kick the can down the road, and then in two years, you're like, oh boy, we still got dead money from this guy on our salary cap? Are you serious? Really? So I would be very hesitant of, you know, extending guys or, you know, turning salary into signing bonus to free up cap space this year, because eventually when you restructure, you always pay the piper. Unless you're having a guy take a straight out pay cut, which by the way, very rarely if ever happens in this league. You're always going to have to pay the piper on these restructures, and it gets into an awful lot of trouble down the road. And really, it's something, if you go, a lot of NFL teams, like the Redskins and Cowboys are two prime examples. They'll restructure contracts all the time to free up cap space. Dallas doesn't do as much anymore. But that's why those teams are always out of cap space. The Giants have never been a team that's been very big on restructuring to free up space now to hurt yourself later. It's something that Kevin Abrams hasn't done a whole lot of. They've done it occasionally. I think Janoris Jenkins a couple years ago, maybe. But 
I would be very hesitant with where the Giants are in terms of their winning trajectory to sacrifice future seasons in cap space then to try to create cap space today. Yeah, you're essentially delaying the inevitable, yeah. basically, mm-hmm. by doing that. Yeah, kicking the can down the road is Pretty never much. a good thing in here or politics or whatever. It's like yeah. we have all the problems we still do. Uh-huh. Um, as far as Absolutely. Like Olivier Vernon, I know if we cut ties with him, we end up creating a big hole there. Mm-hmm. If we restru- if we caught him as a post June one, you could sign all your draft class with the money you got from him, and still have the money that you have now to replace him and do whatever else you need. What do you think of that? Yeah, you can. Um, but then you were looking at dead money on your cap for next year. That's a, that that's very well, big. So you don't like that either. You know what I mean? Much as if you do it this year, you got eight million if you do it this year and four million. This year, if you do it next year, you got four million this year and next year. Well, right, exactly. You either take the full hit now or you split it in half, and that's basically what you're looking yeah. at. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I know it's not a good. It's, poor drafting has got us in this bind. Exactly, <laughs> and now you're trying. And that's why when we talked about what good teams do well, when you have to go out there and make the type of signings the Giants did in free agency two years ago, it might help initially, but eventually you're going to be like, oh boy, I wish we would have just drafted guys and signed them. You know yeah, what and, I mean? And this is also a year where thank you, Woody. We got a roll on the defensive line. Appreciate the phone call. So it, it makes sense if you're looking to bolster the depth chart in that area. Why not just wait till the draft? Because you know, to the caller's point. Okay, well, Vernon may free up some money to help with the draft, but then you're going to use the remainder of that to go out and get a free agent on the defensive line. What do you think? These pass rushers just grow on trees? All the money goes in, All the money goes in the same pot. Yeah. So you're basically you're creating one void which then essentially is going to have to be filled by any money you free up. I just don't think in the big picture it helps you all that much. I think there's a lot more value in saying, "Hey, we're going to continue to build a young nucleus through the draft." Good call by Woody though. I think he made some really good points. Yeah, very and valid. The caller before who mentioned all the draft picks. That's when you get to the fourth round and you get all these picks on day three and you see a guy that you think maybe is a, is a day two value sitting there. That's when you use your assets to move up. And if it takes three picks, you got to trade like a seven out of five uh, to move up in the fourth round or from the fourth round to the late third round to get a guy you want. I love volume of picks and it's important, but once you get to the sixth or seventh round or fifth round even, it's, it's, it's flip you know, of the coin. Flip of the coin. Yeah. It's not even. I well, mean, flip of the coin is 50 50. You're talking about, Save like, rolling a die and, well, you know, rolling a two die and trying to get one number. It's tough. Maybe flip of the coin between one or two guys that maybe you're trying yeah, to choose right, between. Yeah, correct. No, but, but here's the other thing. Twelve guys, let's say Len called up and started speculating the compensatory picks. Twelve guys are not making the roster, John. That's so it, it's more of a reason well, why you might as well move up. Last year they might have. Well, <laughs> the way they correct. cut like so much turnover. guys at the end of summer. They might yep. have made it last year. It's very possible. But I just don't <laughs> Generally, see you're right, though. 12 members of a draft class. Because remember, that also includes Sam Beal from yes. last year. Well, and then you have it's undrafted free agents that yeah. always have, what, two or three of those guys make the roster too, correct. right? So given the turnover rate, it's highly unlikely every single draft pick, if they utilize it, is going to have a realistic shot to make the 53. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe some will make the practice squad, but the bottom line is they're thinking more 53, immediate impact, as opposed to somebody down the road. So all right. I'm all for them moving up, like you said, late in the round if they want to uh, package a couple of sevens and sixes. I'll and so forth. be here with Fegels tomorrow. Lance will be back next Monday or Tuesday getting us ready for the NFL Combine. Then Paul and I will be out at the Combine Three two-hour live shows Wednesday through Friday because of coaching Dave Gettleman speaking on Wednesday morning. Wednesday's show will be from 1 till 3, and then Thursday and Friday we'll be back at 12 to 2. For Lance Menno, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you tomorrow on Giants.com for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Have a good one.